Please have a seat. Thanks, guys. So, what I'd love to start off doing is, some of you may recognize this, an old film, film canister. And uh, watch what happens if we put it down and we give it some time. Absolutely nothing happens, that's right. Absolutely, absolutely nothing. But what if we put in some water and uh, just to prove that it is bona fide water, if we put in just a wee tiny drop of water and we'll see what happens. Have to give it some time, hopefully. Hopefully, be a different outcome. It took a long time the first service too, so we're sort of hoping. Woo! There it goes. So, if you want to know the secrets of the kingdom, then come talk to me afterwards. But what the, the secret of the kingdom uh, is the fact that without Jesus Christ, we can do absolutely nothing. And, uh, you know, I think so often we try to live as Christians without Christ. I think so often, I know I fall into this category, I think so often I try to live like an Old Testament person rather than a New Testament person. Over these last two years, we know we've been reading through the entirety of Scripture. We started it just coming out of the, of the worst part of the pandemic. And we, there's, there's six volumes to the Immerse series. And uh, those who've been around for the last year or two know that we're reading through the entire Bible in three years, two terms per year. And the one that we're going to start in a few weeks' time, for October, November, in our uh, book clubs and reading every day is this one, Immerse Kingdoms. And it's it's basically um, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, and Kings in easy-to-read English, the New Living Translation, just in a book form with no verses or chapters. Um, basically, it's an opportunity to sit down for 20 minutes a day and just to read the story of Scripture. And so we've been, we've been doing that over the last while. Uh, the last time we did this, just after Christmas to Easter, we did the first five books of the Bible. And uh, then this time last year, we did Immerse Messiah, and we looked at the entire New Testament. And it was a bit of, bit of a thicker challenge, and uh, so we read about probably about half an hour of Scripture a day. And uh, many of you have said to me, and I know for myself personally, that actually it, is, it has been a fantastic thing just to go, to go back to Scripture. And the reason why we did it was because one of the things that struck, I think, the church generally uh, in UK and North America and other parts of the world was whenever the pandemic hit and social, social isolation happened, whenever the lockdowns came, that quite often as churches, what people did was they, they said, well, let's put on a daily devotional Let's put on an evening devotional, a morning devotional. And I can see there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of goodness in that. But as I think as the churches have reflected on that, 
there was a sense of panic in the churches. And I think the sense of panic came from the fact that right across the world, church leaders thought, the family of God isn't ready for this. And word came back day after day, week after week, month after month, that people were really, really struggling. And I know at times I found it a real challenge. And so what we decided was, let's go back to basics. Because if, if the church of God, if the family of God don't know how to exercise the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual habits, that when something like lockdown comes, we're going to really struggle. And I think many of us would say it was a real struggle. But over this last year or two, as we have gone back and said, well, let's, let's read the story again. Then we've discovered the Holy Spirit whispering to us again what our identity is. I think the reason why so many of us, we really, even as Christians, we found separation and lockdown so difficult was because I think that we'd, we'd forgotten who we are. And it was difficult for us to remember that when we weren't physically able to gather together. And so what we're seeking to do as a family of God is really grow in a robustness and resilience of Christian life. That when things like pandemics and wars and economic crises happen, that people look at us and say, you know what, when everyone else seems to be panicking, those Christians, they seem to be calm. Why is that? I think one of the keys to that is that we immerse ourselves afresh in the story of Scripture. The pull and tug of the world is so strong that five minutes of reading the Bible every day isn't going to cut it. And that's what we've realized over the last couple of years. It, it just isn't cutting it. As we seek to invest in our children's lives, and help them and train them to grow up in the faith, we realize over the last 18 years that, I've, that we have been here, that actually most of our children don't stick to the faith. And that's, that's true not just in this town or the city, it's true across, across this country. It's true across many countries of the world where the Christian church operates. So one of the reasons why we're having the lunch afterwards is really, is really just to say, how can we, as parents, how can we, as Christian community, how can we grow in a resilience which can stand firm in the midst of a world that in many ways issues a very attractive but a very empty call? I think right at the heart of that is the, is the essence of our identity. Who are we? What is it that we're growing up into? I was really struck, you know, that verse that we had read this morning, that in Christ, when, when the Father looks at us, 
We are holy and blameless in His sight. One of the reasons why this Immersed series, these six volumes, starts with the New Testament, Immersed Messiah, is because you and I are like people who read Agatha Christie novels and we read the last chapter first. And maybe, maybe that's... Maybe that's you. Maybe you love to read the last chapter first. I can see some nods going on. Yeah, there's some people maybe want to watch the end of Vera or Morse first. Even if I actually see the end of Morse 10 times, I never quite understand how the whole thing happens. But the reason why we read the New Testament first is because we read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And so as we enter into the Joshua and Judges and Ruth and Samuel and and Kings over these next couple of months, and we will read of immense amount of bloodshed. We read it as those who have read the New Testament first, because Jesus Christ has changed everything. And so you and I fight today not with swords and spears. We fight with the armor of God. We fight as those who are children of God. We fight as those who have the identity of being blameless and holy in the sight of God. We are children of God. The old has come, the old has gone, the new has come. You and I are new creations. And so we don't allow our hearts to condemn us. But we can't boast about this because everything has been done by Christ. Christ has changed absolutely everything. We measure time, Anna Domini, against before Christ because Christ is the center of history and he has changed utterly everything. You and I are new creations. In the Lord's sight, we are faultless and blameless and holy. But I think so often we live as Old Testament Christians. We live, we try to live lives of following Christ without actually dwelling in the presence of Christ. As we read through the Immersed Beginnings book about the first five books of the Bible, the first couple of chapters in Genesis spelled out the wonderful truth that at the beginning, The glory of God filled the whole universe. Just as light pervades everything, so the light of God was absolutely everywhere. God filled everything completely. And yet, as human beings decided to turn away from light to darkness, and everything that was pure and holy just came crashing down, as we became separated from the presence of God. And God humbly pursued us by taking up residence among his people in a tent in the middle of the desert. And I wonder if the people of Israel, as they read the first parts of Genesis and the call of Abraham and God binding himself to Abram by a blood covenant, and the people of Israel traveling in the wilderness with a a tabernacle in their midst, 
there was that sense of hope, but a sense of what had been lost. The fact that in the beginning, the glory of God filled everything. And that as the people of God followed the pillar of fire and cloud, as they had the tabernacle in their midst, the presence of God dwelled in a tent a few meters cubed. Is an amazing of the God of the whole universe because he loves us so fully, humbly took up residence in part of a tent. What we'll read about as the months go on here is that, that the Israel became a kingdom and they built a temple and the Holy of Holies was a bit bigger than before. But there was still that sense of what had been lost. It's a, it's a sobering read. Sorry to give a spoiler to you, but it's a sobering read. And yet the overarching theme is that the Lord has not finished with us. He continues his patient work of restoring humanity and all of creation with it. But as those who have read Immersed Messiah, as those who are New Testament Christians. We remember that we are not people under the old covenant of works. We are people under the new covenant of grace. In other words, our relationship with God doesn't depend on us obeying rules or us trying harder. And I know for me and I know for many of us, so often we fall into that trap of thinking that somehow if we only try harder, then everything will be fine. But the amazing thing about the Christian faith is that Christ is the one who has done it all. And we rest in what he has done. When Jesus was talking to the religious leaders who knew the Bible inside out, he said to them, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, said Jesus, yet you refuse to come to me to receive life. And yet I think so often in the Christian church we think, if only I read and memorize more scripture, then surely somehow I will become a better Christian. But Jesus said to these religious leaders who prayed, who fasted, who worshiped at the temple, who were the synagogue every week, who gave a sixth of their income to the poor, Jesus warned them, his disciples, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. To grow as a follower of Christ doesn't come by trying harder. It comes by trusting more. So here's the good news. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He is the image of the invisible God. 
For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the God who created everything, you, me, the entire cosmos, stepped into human history as a man. The presence of God has walked among us. He lived, he died, he shed his blood. He brought about a new covenant, a new covenant in his blood. And it's an amazing one in which Christ has done everything. And so as he hung on the cross, he proclaimed, it is finished. Everything necessary for us to live in the presence of God was done by Jesus Christ. We remain in the peace of his presence and he grows his kingdom in us and through us. One thing that always amazes me is that as recorded in Matthew chapter five, as Jesus delivered his first address, his first talk to the crowds who had gathered It seems in the first few minutes, he told his hearers absolutely everything that was necessary to know about the kingdom of heaven. He said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In other words, this new kingdom that Christ was bringing to bear on earth was open to those people who acknowledge that without Christ, they are completely empty. To acknowledge the fact that without Christ, we can do absolutely nothing. That our human effort doesn't figure at all in us being accepted by God. God blesses those who mourn, Jesus said, for they will be comforted. This is, I think, very little to do with human grief whatsoever. It's to do with being brokenhearted over our own brokenness and sin. Jesus is saying, the people who are strengthened and comforted are those who are really bothered by their own brokenness. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. In other words, those who are like God, those who are grateful for the mercies of God, and those who are utterly obedient to God are those who will inherit everything. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Those who have a deep longing that there's more of the kingdom to come are the ones who will live a life of satisfaction. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
as we live this way under the Lord's blessing by the power of Christ's Spirit within us, we are filled with His love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We become fully human, divine image bearers that we were created to be. The way that Genesis in the early chapters is written is one in which the whole of creation is, is described as the temple of God. And so someone in ancient times reading or hearing Genesis would have understood that the way that it is written is to do with forming and filling, is to do with building a temple for God and then filling it with glorious things. And the final day of the filling part, because the last three days, three days, four, five, and six are about filling of this glorious temple of the cosmos. And the last thing the Lord places in his temple are a man and a woman as living representatives of what God looks like. We live in a world that would tell us that we are naked apes. And we are created creatures, there is no doubt. And yet we are made in the image of God. That we alone have been placed at the temple of the cosmos to show creation what God looks like. And what Christ has done is he has restored our dignity. He has restored us to the image of God. And so he works in us by his spirit to be that divine image bearer of love and joy and peace and patience, to have the characteristics of Christ, the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us. And so for us to grow comes about not by, as Mark has been saying, not by us saying, Lord, make me more loving, make me more joyful, make me more peaceful, that's Old Testament stuff. We are New Testament people. And the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ, comes about in us by Christ living in us, residing in us as the new temple of God on earth. You and I are the residing place for the presence of God. You and I are blameless and holy in His sight because we have been swept out and made clean and God Himself has come to live within us. And we also have the Spirit of Christ working through us to extend His kingdom. And all His gifts are ones that express the sacrificial love of God. As Paul said in writing to the Romans, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, which is to speak the truth in love, to build people up, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. 
If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. These fruit and gifts of Christ's Spirit growing in us and working through us come simply by us remaining connected to Jesus Christ. I say simply, but if, if you've been trying to follow Jesus Christ for any length of time, you will know that that is easier said than done. Because sin, which is our internal stuff, the world, which is cultural pressure, and the devil are all doing their utmost to separate us from a knowledge of the presence of God. And that's why the Lord has given us spiritual habits, which the modern church, by and large, has forgotten how to exercise. We're going to look at them in October and November time again on Sunday evenings. There are many of them. The ones probably we know best are to do with Scripture reading, praying, fasting, and rest. We have grown spiritually over this last year or so as again we have immersed ourselves in Scripture and I have seen God strengthen us as a people of God by simply ourselves and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God spending time together. But another spiritual habit I just want to mention briefly before we finish is, is the spiritual habit of rest. I know for myself and I know for many of you during the lockdowns and coming out of the lockdowns that I had many conversations as part of the family of God here where you said to me, do you know what? I have learned new things of what it means to live in the glorious presence of God because my life is no longer as frenetic as it used to be. No one says that to me anymore. I think we may have forgotten many of the things that we've learned over these last three years. People were saying to me, I've spent time with my children in ways that I'd never had before. I've spent time in silence and prayer, and it is restoring my soul. And I wonder for myself, and I wonder for all of us, have we just gone back to our pre-pandemic ways? Have we gone back to frantic rushing and pursuing and forgotten what it means to be still and know that God is God. Genesis, the very first chapters begin with a pattern of rest woven into the very fabric of creation, a daily rhythm of evening and morning, and they come purposely in that order because of the very first chapters of Genesis, the author Moses is saying to us, each day begins with rest and then follows work. And even the pattern for each week, for us that we were invited into in the New Testament, the first day of our week is Sunday, 
it's resurrection day. The day of rest for us as Christians does not come at the end of the week. It comes at the start of the week. For the Jewish people, Sabbath was the final day of the week, the Saturday. And there was a command, you must rest from your work. But Christ is our rest because he hung on the cross and declared it is finished. I have done everything for the human race and creation itself to come back into the restful presence of God. And so as followers of Christ, the first day of our week is the day of rest. It's resurrection day because our rest depends completely on Christ and not on anything that we do. And so Christ said by that invitation, not a command, but an invitation. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I love also the, the paraphrase of those verses in the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it, says Jesus. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Should we stand together? at the start of the service, I'd love us just to stay in a place of quietness and to recognize the fact that you are loved by your heavenly Father just the way you are. There's nothing you have to do to be loved by the Father. He has come in His Son, Jesus Christ, to wash you, to make you clean, to fill you with his Holy Spirit. You are the temple of Christ's presence on earth. You are holy and blameless in his sight as a follower of Jesus Christ. You are a new creation. Your identity is a child of God. There is no to-do list for you to tick off this day or this week to make you acceptable in the sight of your heavenly Father. Christ has made you acceptable. Christ has come to live within you. You're holy and blameless. Father, such grace seems too good to be true. And yet, Lord, we, we believe with all our hearts that it is true. We believe that Christ is our champion, 
Christ is our Savior. Christ is our righteousness. Lord, we believe that there is nothing that we can do to make you love us more. There's nothing we can do to make you love us less. That amazingly, through Christ, we are acceptable in your sight. So, Lord, again, we turn our eyes to Jesus Christ today. We declare that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. We acknowledge the wonderful truth that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. So, Lord, I say to my brothers and sisters in Christ today, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. May you rest in Christ. May you abide in Christ. May you be still and rejoice in Christ and revel in his love and wonder at the glory of being accepted by the Father in Christ. Lord, stir up in us afresh a knowledge of your Holy Spirit in us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us a fresh confidence in who we are as children of God, secure in the identity of belonging to you. Lord, may we no longer live with worry or fear, with second-guessing ourselves, but to live in the glorious presence of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would continue your work of restoring us fully to your image as you grow within us. We thank you, Lord, that we're already complete in your sight. And we pray, Lord, that you would just bring everything to completion for the day of your return. Lord, stir up in us and give us a fresh hunger to live in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. To know that we are loved because we are loved because we are loved. That we are forgiven and set free. Lord, continue to shape us in the characteristics of Christ, to be people of patience and gentleness and self-control. And Lord, stir up in us the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because Lord, we long for the world to know your love. So Lord, stir up the gift of prophecy today among us, that we lovingly and gently would speak to those around us with the words that your Holy Spirit gives, that we would reveal truth that we would build the people up who are around us, that we would say words that are encouraging and faith-filled and loving. And Lord, I pray you would stir up today the gift of healing among us, that we would believe that the kingdom of God continues to come on earth, the kingdom that Christ has brought to bear 
that is growing unstoppably in us and around us. And we pray, Lord, for the kingdom of your healing to come and your kingdom of healing to operate through us. That as we pray into the brokenness, as we pray for healing, Lord, that we would see your glory come and see your healing happen and give you the glory. So, Lord, today we pray for those among us who are unwell, and we pray, Lord, for the healing. We command healing in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Lord, everything we ask, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Everything in the name of Jesus Christ, because we are New Testament people. We are Christians. We live in Christ. Come, move among us afresh by your Holy Spirit. As we continue to worship, as the band come to join us, we continue to revel in the fact that we belong to our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, that we are children of God, that the Spirit dwells within us, so, Lord, stir up your spirit afresh. Come, Jesus Christ, stir up your spirit.